All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you do need to put your name on a waiting list if you'd like to sign up for Chen's letter. He will be accepting new subscribers during the first two weeks of 2016, but you do need to go to miningstocks.com to put your name on the waiting list. Chen has got some really exciting things he's looking at right now in the lithium field, believe it or not. He's turned very bullish on lithium, and over the last couple of days, he's put out some very exciting uh, new buy recommendations in that area. So you may want to take a look. Chen's had a remarkable track record. Go to miningstocks.com, put your name on the waiting list, and you'll be hearing from us during the first few days of the new year. Also, you can subscribe to my newsletter, miningstocks.com. Uh, go to miningstocks.com to subscribe to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Dynacore Gold Mines and Dynacert Inc. And Dynacert Inc. is a company that designs, engineers, manufactures, tests, distributes, and installs transportable hydrogen generator aftermarket products. And it has had very uh, considerable success uh, with a trial with Pepsi trucks uh, in the Detroit area, Pepsi Cola trucks, 200 of them and uh, 10% to 20% savings on fuel consumption, dramatically reducing carbon emissions. So we'll be talking to the CEO of that company in the next several weeks. I'm really looking forward to 2016. I expect to reveal a number of very exciting tech stories on this show, not only from my sponsors, but from other companies as well. Do expect to have Chen Lin on with me frequently next year, much more frequently, to talk about some of his great ideas in the biotech space, energy space. And I do uh, hold out the, uh, the hope, at least, that uh, 2016 will be a turn for the gold mining industry. Uh, we do want to talk, though, from time to time about how to prepare, how to invest, and what promises to be, unfortunately, a difficult market environment next year. I see that Mark Faber uh, said this morning on Bloomberg that he does expect a recession in 2016. Uh, We can hope and pray that Mark is wrong, but uh, it certainly seems to me uh, that rings true, at least with what I'm seeing in the markets and and, uh, in the economic news that's coming out as well. I've titled today's show, How the U.S. Pits Religions Against One Another for Power and Conquest. And Richard Mayberry and Daniel McAdams uh, will be with me uh, in today's show. The, um, and I'm sure that you've heard it said, many people have said, I, you hear it all the time, religion is the cause of wars. 
Uh, but is that really true? Or do powers behind the throne use differences in religious views to pit one another against each other in order to create chaos and destroy the existing order, perhaps for their own gains? Well, I must say, uh, from what I see, that is sort of my sense of what's going on in the Middle East with our country. Uh, it seems to me that uh, it's not peace is not really something that we're all that interested in. It has to do perhaps more with uh, with other issues like retaining the petrodollar, retaining America's place in the world, expanding the empire, as it were. Anyway, Richard Mayberry will be with me around 20 minutes after the hour to talk about his views on the topic of religion and wars, as well as some economic ideas uh, that Richard has and how we might prepare our investment portfolios as we head into 2016. Uh, we do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be with me to opine on how uh, governments are using religious differences uh, to re- perhaps to redraw the Middle Eastern map. At least I want to ask him about his views on some of these issues as well. Uh, where does religion stand in the strife? Is, rig- is religion, the various religions, the cause of this strife, or is there something else going on? Uh, uh, you know, we have the division between the Shia and the Sunnis, and, and certainly those are very real divisions. But to what extent uh, are they being played upon? By, uh, by the superpowers, perhaps, to try to reshape things in their favor. Well, we do have to go to break, but as I say, Daniel McAdams will be with me right after that break, so don't go away. I'll be right back. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Dynacert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dynacert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dynacert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dynacert.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me once again Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And before I say hello to Daniel, I'd like to just suggest to you that you go to ronpaulinstitute.org, ronpaulinstitute.org, to avail yourself to many great articles uh, on the Middle East and on uh, geopolitics in general, what's going on with the United States and NATO and all of that, and, and lots of uh, contrarian ideas there for sure. So if you want to check out and, and maybe uh, avail yourself to some different opinions uh, from those that you hear every day, day in, day out on the mainstream media, do yourself a favor if you're interested in truth and uh, different ideas, at least different opinions, go to ronpaulinstitute.org. Thanks for joining me again, Daniel. It's really great to have you with me. Oh, it's great to talk to you again, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to you, Daniel. You know, I just finished saying in my introduction that I think perhaps there's more than meets the eye. Perhaps it isn't just uh, Shia and Sunni or Christians and Muslims and Jews and Muslims going at each other, but maybe there's something bigger going on. Maybe it has something to do with the United States uh, as a superpower, as the virtually the lone superpower now. Um, you know, certainly more than a republic, we are certainly an empire that ha- might have more to do with uh, with our meddling in the Middle East. Um, and I'm suggesting that it even has to do with the petrodollar and the ability of the United States to continue to own the world's reserve currency. It benefits us as a superpower very well that way, at least the military-industrial complex. We can continue financing ourselves by creating money out of nothing, using that then to expand the empire. Do you think this is a, a, a viable viewpoint that I have, Daniel, or am I, am I crazy? No, Jay, I think you have a very good point. You know, and the thing about the thing about your religious identity, whether you identify as you as you point out as Christian or Jew, or but uh, particularly within Islam, if you identify as a, as a Shia or a Sunni, these are very very strongly held emotional uh, positions. You know, religion by its nature. Is, is sort of uh, not logical in the sort of the, the normal sense of, of things. You know, you you hold your views, your faith, uh, and so they're very, very powerful things that you identify with. And so, if outside powers can manipulate, can can pit one group against another. We're having some technical difficulties. I guess, Daniel, uh, we lost him somehow. Uh, he's there in Texas, perhaps in the middle of the of the storms are having down there. Hopefully, uh, Daniel will be right back with us. Uh, but, you know, the, the whole issue of the, uh, the minority in, uh, of, this, of the Sunnis versus the Shia, and one of the things that I want to ask Daniel about if we get him back on, we have uh, the, the Persian Gulf. To the west, we have Saudi Arabia, which is a Sunni country. And the Sunnis are the majority of Muslims. I think something like, um, I don't know, 80, 85% of the Muslims are Sunnis. And then we have the Shias, who are the minorities, but they are the majority in Iran. And as Daniel was telling me before we got started here, they're about 53% of Iraq is uh, Shia as well. And it's interesting because we uh, those three major oil-producing countries that surround the Persian Gulf, on the north you have uh, you have Iran, which, of course, uh, we've been at odds with for some time now, uh, arguably back to 1953 when 
uh, the Shah, when the Shah of Iran was put in power by our CIA after we overthrew the elected government of Iran, and we put in uh, people, uh, we put in the Shah of Iran who allowed British Petroleum to get its uh, access to Iranian oil. And uh, you know, we've had John Perkins on this show who has talked many different times about. Uh, uh, about how we have used our CIA and our NGOs to go into foreign governments, foment uh, problems, and overthrow governments. Uh, and so this is something that we've been doing most recently in the Ukraine with Victoria Nuland uh, and probably George Soros NGO under, undermining and uh, financing that overthrow of the people's desire to have uh, the, the elected government and so the United States doesn't like the elected government. It overthrows it. It uses NGOs uh, to overthrow the government to foment trouble uh, in these countries. And this is something we've been doing for a long time, and we continue to be involved in the Middle East. Uh, I don't know if we can get Daniel. Is Daniel back on? Uh, I am back, Jay. I'm, I'm very sorry. that. that oh, wrong, good, good. I'm, I'm okay, <laughs> okay, Daniel, I, we lost you there. You started your your thoughts on uh, you were you were saying about the uh, the... Uh, the emotional, uh, the emotions that are attached to religion, that maybe you want to pick up there. Sure, and I think because they're so, they can be, you know, to the secular world, they can be irrational, and therefore I think they can be easily manipulated, and I'm sure that intelligence agencies throughout the world understand this, and that's why you'll, you'll often see interviews with people uh, saying, you know, I, I had no idea my neighbor was Sunni and Shia before any of this stuff blew up, particularly in Syria, which is secular, People didn't really pay attention to these uh, to these sorts of things. So if you can mm-hmm. get people wild up on those deep, deep emotional levels, then they can really be manipulated into doing a lot of a number of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, it just strikes me that uh, it seems as though in in this battle in the Middle East, that Russia has gained some do- some some prominence uh, at the expense of the United States. Would you agree with that? I think Russia has asserted itself. Um, internationally or regionally in a way that it had not done really since the end of the Cold War. And if you, if you look at the, the genesis of what happens uh, in Russia's involvement in Syria in particular starting in September, uh, you know, uh, President Putin made it very clear in a speech to the U.N. that they had had enough of the way the U.S. was behaving in Syria. They'd had enough with the U.S. directly and indirectly funding, financing, and supporting Radical Islam in Shia, uh, radical Islam in Syria, with the hope of overthrowing the secular government, and he essentially said, we, "We've had it. We've had enough. We've been asked by the Syrian government, the legitimate government of Syria, uh, on a bilateral basis to assist them. And we've accepted that request." So I think they were they were back up against the wall, looking at uh, thousands of potentially thousands of extremist fighters from Russian territory who had gone into Syria. Uh, of these people coming home and causing all sorts of problems. The Russians have, Russians have been through this a couple of times with Chechnya wars, and uh, they were facing uh, something that could be very serious. And so they acted, and by acting decisively and doing in a couple of months what the U.S.-led coalition had not been able to do in an entire year, which is to seriously degrade ISIS and to allow uh, the rollback uh, of ISIS to have that done, I think, has, has increased Russia's stature in the world and increased the importance of, 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 uh, of, of, a, of a separate pole that's developing. And you see uh, Russia, Iran, China, and others that are gravitating toward this separate pole. 
Yeah, towards uh, even se- separate markets and and separate uh, banking systems and so forth. Uh, you know, trade trade systems and so forth. Right? Not just not just military, uh, but also some other commercial relationships sure. that have been strengthened. Yeah, as a result. Absolutely, uh, trade uh, pipelines, uh, uh, trading. I, 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 this is somewhat unrelated. I noticed with some interest that Zimbabwe has adopted the Chinese currency. That's its official currency. So yeah, I uh, this saw is that. Something that yeah. would, be, would be unheard of uh, in the past. So the rest of the world is irritated, as you point out. The U.S. has been behaving as if it has an empire, and as, uh, as Dr. Paul always says, "Do what we say, and we'll fund you, uh, cross us, and we'll bomb you." Well, I think more and more countries are starting to to want the option C, which is looking elsewhere and being being left alone. So I think, uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct, Jay. So the BRICS and uh, the countries, I say China and Russia at least, and, and some of those that you named, Iran and others, uh, are offering a third alternative, an option C rather than just an A or a B. And um, well, so what we have, it, it seems to me, Daniel, and I saw some time ago, there was this map that was drawn. It was on a U.S. military website that subsequently was taken down. And it showed a redrawing of the map of the Middle East that essentially had uh, had all three countries combined, uh, that is, around the Persian Gulf. It had Iran in the north, Iraq uh, to the east, and Saudi Arabia, of course, which is the United States' primary ally there in the oil world, uh, to the west, and, and combining them into one nation. And that map was subsequently pulled down off of the uh, U.S. armed uh, website. Uh, it was really an interesting thing to me, but as I see what's happening now, would you agree that Iraq has maybe moved closer to Russia in recent months than it had been? Uh, it, For example, it allowed Russia to fly over its territory, I believe, to fly some weapons into uh, uh, in, into Syria. But but is that a sen- that's the sense that I get that Iraq has has possibly moved more towards the Russian camp and away from the U.S. camp. I think that's a fair assessment, and I think part of it. Uh, and I've seen I've seen many credible articles uh, written recently that talk about the frustration in Iraq over the seemingly incompetent U.S. Uh, fight against ISIS. They see the um, the Iranian militias in going into Iraq and being much more effective in taking out ISIS than the U.S. For whatever reason, some say it's on purpose. The U.S. doesn't want to destroy ISIS because it needs ISIS to take out Assad. Um, or the U.S. is, if the U.S. is that incompetent, then we have to ask ourselves why we're spending $700 billion a year on a military uh, that can't defeat this. But the, the Iraqis are frustrated. They're also tired of being pushed around. If you remember, the U.S. military pulled out of Iraq because Iraq wouldn't sign a forces agreement giving, um, giving uh, <clears throat> uh, immunity to American troops. Uh, so... There has been some talk that the um, that the Iraqis are looking to the Russians to help them fight ISIS, and uh, I think a couple of uh, members of Parliament have mentioned that. But whenever that happens, you know the U.S. arm uh, will come and strong arm the Iraqis uh, into getting back in shape. So, how long will their arms be twisted before they break? It's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we don't have time to pursue it any further or other questions that I wanted to ask you, Daniel, because we are basically out of time here. Um, I do want to thank you for coming on my show again. We'll have to have you on more often and have you on my website at J. Taylor Media as well so we can pursue some of these very complicated questions, but I think very important issues that Americans should be some not, somewhat more knowledgeable about before they pull the lever at the voting booths next uh, November, uh, whenever the next election is coming up in November. So, Daniel, thanks for being with me so much uh, again, again today. Thank you so much for being with me, and we'll look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future. Thanks, Jane. I'm sorry for my technical problems. Oh, no problem at all. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Richard Mayberry. He'll have some interesting things to say on similar topics about religion and peace and tranquility or the lack thereof and what is the cause of it what is the root cause of uh, of all these issues and he'll also have some ideas about how you might prepare your investments as we head into 2016 so don't go away we'll be right back with richard mayberry voice america business network the bottom line in business Dynacert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dynacert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dynacert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dynacert.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. And, um, well, for those of you who may not know Richard, he is the editor of Richard J. Mayberry's U.S. and World Early Warning Report. And you can and you should learn more about this must-have newsletter by going to Richard Mayberry. It's actually richardjmayberry.com, richardjmayberry.com. That's M-A-Y-B-U-R-Y. Dot com. Thank you for joining me again, Richard. It's always a pleasure to have you with me, and I'd like to have you here as often as possible. Oh, Thanks. Thank you, Jay. Um, I always enjoy being here because you do such a good job. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, the American people, they know there are other viewpoints out there other than the mainstream viewpoint, and, um, they, but they don't know how to identify it or where to find it, and you are one of the very few people who are doing such an excellent job of giving an alternative view to the mainstream uh, uh, boilerplate stuff that's that's pumped out and 
I, I, for one, thank you very much. You're doing a great job. Well, I, for one, thank you very much for providing all of the material that I use and the, the, the questions. You do all the hard work, Richard. But uh, but identifying truth is, of course, what we're trying to do on this show, and, uh, and you're a gigantic help in that regard. You have a better grasp of history going way back than anybody else I know personally anyway. So, and, and you bring that up into the relevance of today's actions, what's going on geopolitically in our economy. And I think it's, it's a very, very valuable. So anyway, I'd like to start out with your, really sort of talk a little bit about your January 2016 issue. You started it out as follows, quote, Happy New Year. It is shaping up to be unusually interesting as well profitable and shocking. I plan to be with you each step of the way. The Paris and San Bernardino terrorism incidents indicate we are off to the races, which is a main theme of this month's issue of the Early Warning Report, end of quote. Well, you know, Richard, the, thinking back to Ron Paul when he was running for president, the Republicans nearly booed him off the stage in one of those debates, so he said a few years ago, the reason they are over here, the reason they hit us on 9-11, is because we're over there. So I'd like to ask you if you agree with that viewpoint, and if so, do you think we are likely to see more such incidents like Paris and San Bernardino uh, if the United States continues to bomb, maim, and kill foreigners around the world? I mean, that's what Ron Paul was saying, and Republicans said that's, you know, they booed him off the stage virtually. But what do you think? Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with, with Ron's viewpoint on that. Um, and... Uh, um, I mean, he said it so well. The reason that they're over here is that we're over there. Um, I don't like the use of the word we. Um, I wish he would have said because the federal government is over there. Because we encompasses the entire U.S. population, and, and they don't know what's going on. They have no idea what the federal government's doing in other countries. Sure. Um, so, you know, I would not pin the blame on the U.S. population, but I sure would pin the blame on the federal government. They have made such a mess in so many other countries. It's horrible. And I'm speaking from experience here. Um, I was, in the 1960s, I was in the Air Force's 605th Special Operations Squadron, and one of our jobs was to go to other countries and teach the troops of the dictators who were running those countries how to suppress their own people. Mm. Wow. And and here we are, you know, I don't know how many years later, almost 50 years later, and and the federal government's still doing the same thing in Afghanistan and Iraq, all over the place in the Middle East, um, helping those dictators keep their people down. And it's, uh, you know, there's, no, there's nobody over there running any country that's a Thomas Jefferson. They do yeah. not have Thomas Jeffersons in the middle. No, no. Everybody. Nor 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 are we helping them find the Thomas Jeffersons that are in. <laughs> oh, that's true. We're trying to suppress the Thomas Jeffersons overseas. <laughs> yes, that's really a, a good point too. Um, that this uh, you know this current uh, mess that we're in uh, that started on nine eleven with the twin towers coming down uh, that actually was started by Franklin Roosevelt in the nineteen forties. He took sides with the Saudi royal family um, who were just a bunch of cutthroats um, and and uh, helped them uh, keep the other tribes of the Arabian Peninsula down and, and to suppress those tribes 
he agreed to do that in the 1940s, actually before I was even born. Mm -hmm. I'm 69 years old. And um, the U.S. government has been meddling in the Mideast ever since then, always taking sides with governments that no American would want to live under. Uh, and, and so the pressure's been building over there. The place is just a giant pressure cooker that Washington has been turning up the heat on ever since the 1940s, and it finally blew up on 9-11, and um, it's spreading around the world. And I'll tell you, I am totally convinced that millions of those people over there are going to continue trying to hit back at us in whatever ways they can, including coming over here and hitting us in our home country. They're going to continue doing that until the federal government gets out of their countries. Yeah. You know, before we went on, uh, you know, on live on mic here, Richard, you were telling me uh, there's there's been a couple of periods in history where governments have sort of backed away and left people alone, and Christians and Muslims and Jews, uh, in at least in one case, Jews got along very well. I think in the Middle East, you said before Britain, uh, before the British started getting involved and, and, and shaking things up in the Middle East, uh, that Christians, Muslims, and Jews lived together peaceably. And then I think you mentioned in Spain also, Muslims yeah. and Christians at least got along very well. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that is <laughs> it's kind of sorry about the way history is taught is that if nothing's going on, the historians don't report anything about it. Right. And they never ask the question, well, why is it so peaceful and quiet there? <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in uh, Palestine, before the Brits came in and took the place over and, and started uh, uh, fouling it up, um, the, uh, the Western powers pretty much just left Palestine alone. It was almost totally ignored. And so the Christians, Jews, and Muslims who lived there side by side had to work things out on their own. And the conclusion they came to is that they all shared the same fundamental laws, and so um, they would just abide by the, the same fundamental laws, the contract law and tort law and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. It was so similar among their religions that they would just all um, uh, conduct their affairs using these laws they had in common, and they got along really well. And mm-hmm. There was very little strife there. Now, there was some. You know, nobody lives in heaven, but yeah. um, they, you know, they really did get along well. And then a, an even better example is Spain during the Middle Ages when Muslims ruled Spain. The, the Islamic rulers had a pretty much hands-off um, policy toward the three religions and their laws, and um, that, that, among other things, it, it pr- produced a free market type of economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Christians, Jews, and Muslims worked together side by side. They got along just fine following the laws they had in common. And um, that, that civilization was one of the most advanced the world has ever seen. Um, the, let's see, it was, there's a book out called... Uh, the jewel of the world, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time, that's what Spain was called, the jewel of the world, mm-hmm. because those people got along with each other because their government wasn't meddling 
in their way of life. Oh, that would it'd be a really interesting read. Uh, Rick, you know, one of the statistics that I pulled out of your last letter, you said that uh, America, since its founding in 1776, or, or I guess right before that, has been involved in 144 wars, and all but two of them, the Revolutionary War, which of course helped us find, you know, helped the, create the country, and the War of 1812, have one thing in common. Could you share with our listeners what those wars, what all of our wars have had in common? Yeah, um, if you look at those 142 wars um, uh, that have something in common, what they have in common is that the people the federal government were fighting uh, were attempting to make the federal government go away and leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out of the 144 wars, 142 of them, that's what the war was about. The federal government was in somebody else's country, and the people in that country were trying to make them go away. Um, It's The U.S. government, in my mind, is the most meddlesome government ever in the history of the world. It just sticks its nose into other countries' business constantly, just constantly. In, In most countries, no matter what the government there is going to do, they have to first consult with the American government to find out what it is they're allowed to do. Incredible. It's incredible. But, you, you know, you, you talk about uh, this conflict, though, where there were a couple of periods of time when Christians and Muslims got along well, and Jews in there, too, I guess, where all three major monotheistic religions got along well. But for the most part, you all the way back to 64 B.C., you point out, that Christians and Muslims have been having strife, and what's what's beneath it? If you know, is it money? Is it monetary issues? What's going on? Is it is it power? Or what what is uh, what's driving this? Because as you just pointed out, when left alone, these people can get along. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm pretty convinced that the main driving force is simply the lust for power. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, what, what Americans have never understood it very well, at least. They, they, they did it at the beginning. Back right after the revolution, they understood political power, but they don't anymore. And, and what the main thing they don't understand is that people who are in the upper levels of government are different than the rest of us. The rest of us want... Um, what money um, in order to have whatever we regard as the good life. So most of us are chasing what we regard as the good life, and we work at our jobs to try to achieve that. We each have a different definition of what the good life is, but mm-hmm. that's what we're chasing. Materialism. Politics. Materialism for the most part. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's uh-huh. right. Not that that's a bad thing, No, but that's the way it is. That's sure. the way humans really are. Mm-hmm. Now, what politicians are, though, is people who are seekers not of wealth, but of political power. They enjoy the privilege of meddling in other people's lives. And that's what politics is all about. You look at any political um, um, candidate or, or any high bureaucrat, they all have plans on how you and I should live our lives, and they plan to make sure that we have those plans imposed on us. Um, some of their plans sound good, but when you look at them really closely, what they really boil down to is robbing Peter to subsidize Paul in most mm-hmm. cases. 
-hmm. But that's the, the main thing, is these are seekers of political power. And in the United States, <clears throat> there's a terrible frustration uh, uh, among these high-level power seekers because the Bill of Rights gets in their way, or at least it used to before 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, they they want to go out and they want to change our lives, and the Bill of Rights gets in the way. It says, no, you can't meddle in people's lives. And so they they all have a kind of a frustration, and what they wind up doing if they get into the White House or some other high-level uh, area in the government is, is they start sticking their noses into the business of people in other countries because the founding fathers made a mistake. And nobody admires them more than I do, but they were human and they made mistakes. Mm -hmm. And one of their biggest mistakes is the Bill of Rights stops at the border. The, the, the politicians are forbidden to um, meddle in, let's say, free press, uh, freedom of assembly, uh, freedom of speech, but outside the country, they can do anything they want. And that's what American politicians have done. And I attribute this American meddling in other countries as the result of the American father's mistake that the Bill of Rights stops at the border. Right. So this, uh, this, this thirst for power, uh, you know, has sort of driven our, our bloodthirsty rulers to go overseas. And now, and now we're even in danger here of losing, uh, you know, the Bill of Rights, as you point out. Yeah, yeah. There's the uh, some background here. It's important. It's, it, you know, you might ask, well, why Muslims? Why aren't all kinds of other people doing this? Yeah. Why are the Muslims leading the charge? Um, well, the Muslims were the group closest to Europe, mm -hmm. and it's the Europeans who attacked um, the Arab world. They started this whole thing in 64 B.C. Mm -hmm. The Romans attacked the Arabs in the area that's now Syria. So, um, you know, that war between the Europeans and the Muslims has been going on since 64 B.C. They, they weren't Muslims back then. They were other religions, but they were Arabs. And, and uh, the two groups were fighting with each other. Well, America, we come, come forward here now to 1776, America splits off from Europe and becomes uh, a separate country, but the American rulers stayed allied with the Europeans against the Muslims. And, you know, that's what the Barbary Wars were all about. Mm -hmm. The U.S. rulers were staying allied with the Europeans in this ancient war between the Europeans and the Muslims. And that's, a, you know, it's still going on. I mean, that's essentially what's yeah. going on today. The U.S. maintains this alliance with NATO, which is Europe, and, and NATO is in this war that's more than two centuries old, or 2,000 years old. Um, NATO is in this 2,000-year-old war, and the, the U.S. just goes along with it. Just, <laughs> yeah, right. The Europeans call the, the Muslims terrorists for defending themselves, and the U.S. politicians say, oh, they must be terrorists. Yeah. Europeans say they are. Yeah. Roosevelt really stepped it up, though, a bit, didn't he? Uh, sort of uh, opened up relationships with the Saudis, I think, though, didn't he, in the, in yeah. the 40s? 
yeah. then from there on, that sort of laid the groundwork later for the petrodollar under Kissinger, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, it's all hooks together. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it, all one single story that goes back to 64 B.C. Yeah. Well, Richard, you know, one interesting little snippet in your letter, um, here comes the snipers. Uh, very interesting. You, you uh, used a source, I think it was from The Economist, November 21st, 2015. Uh, and so it, it seems to me that does this give sort of renegade outfits like ISIS and others uh, more of an even playing field? They pick off our leaders, our kings, our presidents, and so forth? Yeah, Um if you read that article uh, that's in The Economist, and it's, it's about the breakthroughs that have been made in sniper rifles in the last few years, and these breakthroughs are now coming to the manufacturing stage, and, and this technology will be available all over the world, and it's incredible. I mean, you have to read the article. It's just really astounding how accurate they are and at the range that they are. Um, and I think that what's going to happen is that a whole lot of politicians all over the world are going to find themselves in serious danger um, uh, against something that, that almost can't be stopped. And um, I think that in the U.S. too, uh, along with the, most of the rest of the world, the politicians are just going to go nuts, and they're going to try to control their populations in a way it's more draconian than anything that we've seen in, in America ever um, because they will be so scared. The country will just be in a continual state of emergency, and I think that won't last very long. I, I would imagine maybe a year um, after those draconian controls are, are levied, um, I would imagine populations all over the world will start rising up and rebelling against those controls. Hmm. So th- I think the political turmoil that's headed our way because of these new sniper rifles is going to be uh, a really huge historic um, period that's going to be unlike anything any American has ever seen. Well, it's uh, it's frightening. I can see that you know already they're talking about, of course, taking guns away from Americans, and uh, I would I would imagine that would be a move then if uh, if if some of these politicians are getting picked off, uh, you know, that there would be an even even more of a of a fear tactic. The propaganda, of course, it's out there. And and one of the interesting things, switching gears here a bit with your letter last la- or the January issue, uh, taxes and, and how taxes are used to control American propaganda and the thinking of Americans. Could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, we, we saw a little bit of that where Obama went after conservatives. Uh, he sort of sicked the IRS on, on conservatives who didn't agree and had views that were different. But you point out that goes back quite a ways. FDR did some of that, too, didn't he? Yeah, back in the 30s, um, um, I, everybody's heard the name um, William Randolph Hearst. Sure. You, you may not know who he was, but you probably heard the name. Well, he was the most influential newsman probably in the history of the world. And uh, he lived in a castle on the west coast of the U.S. And um, um, he had his fingers in things all over the country. He knew what was going on everywhere and was continually writing um, editorials in his newspapers. He had hundreds of newspapers 
and he was writing these editorials criticizing Roosevelt. And Roosevelt started getting really unhappy about it and, and alarmed because um, it was a threat to his power. And he uh, called in his Treasury Secretary, Morgenthau, and told Morgenthau, get that guy's tax return and look for something that we can get him on. And this had, you know, a few years before that, you'd have the case of the FBI getting, um, what was the gangster's name? Uh, Capone? Uh, we, we're talking Capone? Al Capone, yeah. Capone, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the FBI had, had caught Al Capone by, by charging him with tax evasion. And um, they locked up Al Capone on tax evasion because they couldn't get him on any other charges. Well, Roosevelt sent Morgenthau after Hearst with that same plan in mind. We're going to get him on tax evasion. And um, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know what conversation ensued. But Morgenthau came back and told Roosevelt, yeah, I found a bunch of stuff because the tax code is so convoluted, you can find something on everybody in the world if you want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, what happened was right after that, um, Hearst started backing down, and he never wrote any really inflammatory editorials against Roosevelt after that. And I think what really cemented the lesson was that Roosevelt also went after um, Hearst's girlfriend, uh, Marianne Davies, oh. uh, went after her tax return, too. And I think that's what really froze Hearst, um, as it would any man, um, when you find out the woman you love is being chased by the IRS. Yeah. Um, that would scare you to death. Mm. Um, so um, what happened was, was Hearst backed down. And any... Uh, I shouldn't say any, but most of the anti-socialist editorializing in the United States went away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the whole country started swinging socialists very strongly Mm -hmm. because, I think, because the the papers were no longer fighting it. Mm -hmm. All the newspapers knew what happened to Hearst, Mm -hmm. and um, they still do know that. Yeah, uh, it's it's common knowledge in the newspaper industry. So, I, my opinion is, uh, you know, I can't prove it, but my opinion is that all of the the big news sources in the United States, the mainstream press, realize that they better not be too critical of the federal government's power, and they better not be too critical of socialism, or else um, they're going to be seeing a lot of tax auditors and lawyers and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, this this makes perfect sense, Richard, in explaining why we never hear about Austrian economics because it's free market economics. We hear about Keynesian. Keynesian economics is revered. Keynes was a god, and that's what we're running our world into the into the sewer uh, with Keynesian economics, in my view. But it, the, but that would make sense because anybody that would stand, you know, for free market economics, which is conservative economics, it's sens- essentially you know, back, back to the founding fathers, essentially, would be up against this power-hungry political group, political class that wants to rule over us, right? Yep, that's right. Um, and you come back, Americans aren't used to thinking in terms of power. Um, we, we think in terms of wealth. Uh, 
because we've had mostly free market economies, you know, for for 200 years, and um, and so we've got this orientation toward production rather than toward power. And it, you're not used to thinking of politicians and bureaucrats at the high levels of the government being people who aren't interested in wealth. They want power. They want the ability to push you around. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of tend to think most people in the high levels of government were ones who were victims of bullies when they were kids in school. Mm-hmm. And this is their response. Uh, this is their the psychological repercussions of that perhaps well you know we're looking at um, uh, an economy uh we as we end this year i want to ask you a little bit with the few minutes we have left here richard what your thoughts are as we go into the new year we seem to have more potential for war and rumors of war in the middle east russia now in syria and uh, the united states not liking that very much Uh, the chinese i saw that we were running we were uh, over there, artificial islands, uh, doing some flying some some planes over there last this weekend, and their Chinese are really upset about that. We don't want the Chinese to be able to control their own sea lanes. That should be oh, the only right of the United States and NATO to do that, or whatever. And and so uh, and yet we have we have a global economy that looks to me, Richard, like it's really heading off the cliff. Uh, you know, and and we're seeing monetary velocity, which I want to thank you for because you're one of the few Austrian-leaning uh, economic thinkers who bring out the velocity of money. But we're seeing velocity fall off the cliff right now. We're seeing monetary velocity in the United States, uh, but you point out, uh, you know, the U.S. dollars overseas as well. Uh, and I was looking at a chart this morning. It's very, very interesting. Um, going back to the Weimar Republic, you know, that in the 1920s, there were two incidents when velocity went almost to zero. It actually hit zero uh, in the 1920s in Germany prior to the hyperinflation. Uh, what are your views now? I mean, do you th- you've always been leaning more ultimately towards hyperinflation, I believe, Richard, but... Do you see that as a possibility here? Because, you know, looking at it the way it is now, people are hanging on to their money for dear life. They, they're they hoping they can pay the rents next month. They're hoping they can put food on their tables. What are your thoughts? Um, what I, I think we're looking at is a panic to get into dollars. People are getting more and more scared, as you say, especially older people who are facing retirement. You know, I know people who are multi, multi, multi-millionaires and they're afraid to retire because they can't earn any any, any interest income yeah. right on their on their savings and so they know the minute they retire they're going to start running down their capital and and that for either a country or an individual running down your capital is economic death and they and these people are wealthy because they understand money and and they're scared. They have millions of dollars, millions and millions, and they are scared to retire. Um, so I think fear is is just it's just so thick out there. Mm-hmm. You can practically feel it and touch it, mm-hmm. and it's getting worse. Well, the day is going to come when everybody's going to realize that uh, a dollar is just a piece of paper and that the federal government has been horribly irresponsible about printing dollars, and the fear will go in the other direction. Because, you know, it's an emotion. It can change overnight. 
<clears throat> and it, I think it will switch, you know, just like turning off a light switch, turning it off and on. It'll go from, from severe, uh, uh, crippling amounts of fear of, of, uh, the future and, and of, uh, whatever's going on in the world to fear of the dollar. Mm-hmm. When that happens, Katie bar the door. Oh. There will be a flight away from the dollar and, and toward non-dollar assets. Uh, one of those, you know, the most popular is gold and silver, and but pretty much everything that has value that's not tied to the value of the dollar. Um, you know, I think all of those things will become destinations for this flight away from the dollar, and it will be as intense as the flight to the dollar is right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just wondering. I just wonder what might uh, trigger something like that, Richard. You know, because right now uh, people's salaries are going down in real time, in real terms, uh, to the extent they still have full time jobs. Many of them don't. Uh, you're, you mentioned older people are working. Uh, well, the largest number, uh, largest unemployment group is the age, the working age male, male, white males in this country. Uh, and uh, you know, it seems like everybody's hanging on because. They have less money, and the cost are you know their cost of living is going up. Jobs aren't out there. You know what would change that psychology? Because all of a sudden, if people start to think that the dollars they do have are going to suddenly be worthless, I could understand why they try to trade them in for some tangible asset that would allow them to retain some value. But it's how do we get from the you know the 180 degree switch? Uh, from that to that, that's what that's what I really wonder about. And I don't suppose there's any real answer, but just like your thoughts. Um, I, I would pick as the most likely possibility. There are there are probably dozens of possibilities, but the most likely I would pick was would be that the Chinese government would decide that once and for all they're going to do something to get the U.S. out of their part of the world. They're going to huh. want they're going to want Washington to get out of their backyard, and I think. Now, if you, if you, you know, the reports that we receive about the accumulation of raw materials in, in China is correct. And gold. Have, yeah, including gold. They have warehouses, you know, stacked to the rafters all over China that are full of copper and nickel and gold and silver. And I think they are getting ready for an economic war, an economic attack on the dollar. And they, at some point will just trigger off a run on the dollar. They'll start selling their dollars and the dollar because they got a lot of them and the dollar will start falling and that will trigger a worldwide panic and people will that will be the switch that I'm talking about. It'll be like hitting a light switch. People will start running away from the dollar. Uh, and and the US government will be in really deep trouble. So um, that's my guess for the most wow. likely uh, interesting. Thing. Well, that's interesting. You do bring the geopolitics and connect with economics as well as anybody I know, Richard, which makes your work you. extremely interesting to me. And I would just say, say in parting here, because we are out of time just about here, maybe another minute or two we can talk about it. Your portfolio, you put together, I don't know if I'd call this your portfolio, but the items that you think are going to do extremely well as increased chaos occurs in the United States. And, you know, just on, to end on an optimistic note, Richard, you always have said, well, if we can be ready for this, you can actually turn what, what are going to be some very difficult times into a positive for you, and you try to do that. Uh, you have, for example, and, and you, ha- you have a confidence rating here of 1 to 10, and 10 being the highest. 
You're very confident about these items, uh, oil, gold, silver, platinum, palladium. Uh, you have also listed the Fidelity Defense, uh, I guess it's an ETF, uh, and, you know, yeah, and uh, so that's, uh, you know, and we're looking at some extremely high value, uh, high levels that you expect that we'll be running towards uh, in the not-too-distant future. Rogers International Commodity Index, uh, the S&P Case-Shiller 20 City Residential Real Estate Index. Well, I like that one. I live in New York City. Uh, is assuming things hold together here and I can get off the island when I want to. Uh, I, I sort of like that idea uh, that we'll see uh, a major rise in those values. But, you know, we're looking at, for example, folks, uh, Richard suggesting, and, and I guess you're saying these could be spike, uh, sort of spikes in the heights, not yeah. necessarily sustained long term, but oil could go to $250. Well, it's at 30 something now. Gold to uh, 12000 silver to 200 platinum. Uh, Twelve thousand, platinum five thousand. None of these things make seem out of the question for me. But you know, to most people, it would be outrageous, Richard. And uh, how how do you answer? Mainstream people would just sort of laugh this off. Um, well, the mainstream people don't know very much about economic history if they're laughing it off, because this sort of thing happens, you know, very often uh, in history. And I think we're just headed for another example of it. The, when the people get scared of the currency, they run away from it, and they run toward things like you just gave the list of. Those are the things they run toward when they're trying to run away from a currency, and those kinds of, of increases actually are rather paltry <laughs> compared to some of the cases in history. Uh, most people have heard the German hyperinflation in uh, the 1920s, but, but there have been you know scores of cases around the world where those kinds of uh, increases in value have occurred for the people who were smart enough to buy while there was a deflationary condition, which we're in now, uh, and just hang on and wait for the inflationary condition to come around. Yeah. The, yeah, there, there are cycles. The tide goes in, the tide goes out. And uh, this is the time to be buying these non-dollar assets for the day when there's a run on the dollar. Right. Well, good advice, Richard. Thank you very much. We're out of time. As always, uh, always a pleasure having you on. Always so much to talk about and uh, look forward to doing it again, hopefully, in another month or so. So thank you very much for being with me once again, Richard. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, we'll be back next week. Alistair McLeod of Gold Money will be our main guest, so I look forward to, to having you listen to that show as well. So until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. 